Welcome to the DFD, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we chat with industry leaders who share insights and their experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. I'm pretty excited today to have uh, Dustin Grisnick, uh, host of the Far Away Farm Boy podcast and a new entrant in Alberta. So Dustin was just telling me he's from Fort McLeod. So what do you do on a Wednesday afternoon in Fort McLeod? Oh, <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. I, uh, no problem. I appreciate it. Um, what do I do on a Wednesday afternoon? Well, it's kind of a long story. So, so we started here in 2013 and uh, for our manure side of things, this can be a really low level conversation just for your listeners. This isn't like some industry wide <laughs> you know, state of the industry conversation, because, you know, I shovel manure, I do a lot of the, the grunt work, I, I do all that. So oh, that's good anyway, to hear. Yeah. When we first started, we had a uh, slurry store that we trucked over here and set up. Um, but we kind of skimped out on the agitation. Mm-hmm. So a couple years later, the thing has about 10 feet of crust in it. We emptied it out the other day. And now I am installing some agitation. So that's what I did today, Wednesday well, afternoon. You look pretty clean for playing around in the poop all afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> or all morning, good I guess. Thing, it's uh, a couple hours difference, but. Yeah, good thing this doesn't have a uh, smell feature. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be the next thing for uh, smartphones, a smell feature. You can smell through your phone. Yeah, smell of it. You're going to lose some listeners. Yeah. Um, so tell me about being a new entrant in Alberta. I know we've got the same kind of program in Ontario where they kind of kick you off with, um, I think it's 35 kilos. I think there's two different programs, an assisted and a non-assisted. Um, but it gives you a bit to start with and a bit to grow with. And you said you started in 2013. So maybe walk us through the process of how, why you decided to go in the new entrant program and uh, and how it's been going so far. Yeah, that's uh, it's quite the story. Um. So I grew up in Chilliwack, BC, um, and uh, I grew up on a pig farm, chicken farm, and later on a dairy farm. My dad was also a new entrant in BC, or he is a new entrant, oh, okay. I guess you'd say. So he started cows in, right now? Yeah, my dad has um, two, two robots in Chilliwack there. Oh, nice. So he started in 07. And then, uh, yeah, when I was, oh, was I 19 or something? I wanted to farm and land was about $80,000 an acre at that time. Now it's probably double that in some places. Holy cow. So I had some relatives out this way. I figured, well, I, I probably best just to move out that way. I, in hindsight, I guess I could have moved to BC's interior. The land is cheaper there, but um, yeah, I just wanted to farm. So I moved out to the prairies and uh, worked on a few dairies. Um, and then the new entrant program came up and my parents were kind of saying like, Hey, like, what do you want to do for your career? Right. I'm like, well, you know, mm. I, I don't really like doing much else. You know, I, I love working with cows. So it's not like I knew, you know, for sure that I wanted to dairy farm though. Right. It's pretty, yeah. pretty tricky situation. Right. <laughs> so like, well, there's this new entrant program in Alberta. So we looked around for rental places and then, uh, we eventually, 
um, just decided to do it at the uh, place my parents owned here, a little 18 acre piece uh, just south of Fort McLeod. Um, yeah, just getting on to the new entrant program, that was quite something. It was, uh, I always tell people like the loan that we got approved for, like the person got fired for approving it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> So that was Off to a it's great quite start. a miracle that I'm here. Like, <laughs> you know, we're we don't, you know, we're not super, super rich. So, but anyways, it was really cool that we got on and super thankful that we uh got approved on the new entry program because we were like half done building the barn already. So it was it was gonna be yeah. an expensive hay shed, you know, if we didn't get approved. But uh yeah, so that was all good. We started um yeah, just over eight years ago. And uh the yeah, the program for people who don't know is you get um it was you get 15 kilos for free for five years and then yeah. over years five to seven you paid it back so they've since changed it so that you get is that 35 kilos when you buy 15 and then you pay okay. it back over years 11 to 20. so you so, so they start off with 50 kilos in that program essentially then man i gotta remember now no sorry it's 25 not 35 okay. 25 okay. when you yeah. buy 15 yeah yeah so still that's still a a bit of a, a good good start for you guys then like a yeah 40 kilos yeah let's just say it uh has room for improvement um what <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's very difficult to uh to make it just on that i know a lot of guys have like a second job or something that they and you know they're uh, terrific managers, and they they do a really good job with it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely challenging. Yeah. So have you like have you continued to grow over the years then, or did you kind of you know get to a little bit of a plateau off the beginning, and then you've stayed there? Yeah, we've we've really uh, tried to grow over the years. Obviously, the the bigger you are, uh, you know, the, the more it's going to make sense, right? So. I mean, uh, yeah, every chance we've had, we've tried to grow. So it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of capital at the start, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the biggest issue is just where do I get the money to start? Yeah, absolutely. So like my parents have been like, you know, very, very involved um, in this farm. So yeah, without them, like I, people always ask, like, you know, is it for, is it for anyone, you know, the new action program? And, you know, I'm hesitant to say no. Because, uh, you know, I, I've known some new entrants that have, you know, uh, um, you know, one guy works at a bank, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and he has that full-time job. And then he, I think he has a robot and a pack barn or something. So that seems to work for him. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy. So. No. And then you guys are a parlor, I assume then. Yeah. We have a uh, double four herringbone and a straw pack. Oh, that's good. So not, yeah. uh. Like all your, like you said, you have a slurry store. So a lot of your manure is just like scraped off the alley, then yeah, put it out in the slurry store and deal with it in the yeah. spring. Yeah, we have a lot of dry manure too, right? With a pack barn, it's a uh, majority of it is dry manure. So, so what's the, like other than maybe the capital cost up front, like what was the biggest challenge that you kind of faced as a new entrant so far? Uh, probably just being everything at once. You, you got to, you know, for other companies that, um, you know, turn over, you know, 500 grand, they have a board assigned to, you know, their decision making, you know, like, if you look at any retail 
you know, store that, that turns over that much money, they have, you know, a whole bunch of people assigned to making sure that everything runs smoothly. Right. But mm-hmm. it's just me and my wife here and a few part-time employees, right. That do one or two milkings a week or, or whatever. Right. So, uh, you definitely have to learn, uh, learn quick. I mean, on the cow side of things, you know, you learn on the job too. And I didn't come into the, into the job with nothing, but you know, you sure, yeah. sure learn the hard way over the years. Well, you would have had more of a, like a background just in livestock or poultry in general than if it sounds like you grew up like mm-hmm. with hogs and mm-hmm. hogs and chickens. Mm-hmm. And definitely like I've learned, uh, to call on people, right? Like I have somebody for everything. I think that maybe that's just part of life too. Even uh, somebody not in agriculture, you have someone you can call for basically everything, right? Um, my dad mm-hmm. takes a lot of that responsibility. I call my dad for lots of stuff, but also like technical stuff, right? For, for um, you know, nutrition, I call my nutritionist and, you know, for any problems I, I can't solve with cows, I call my vet or, you know, there's, there's always a yeah. whole list of people you can call on, right? So taking advantage of their skills, you know, you don't have to do it all by yourself, right? Yeah. And I guess that's a good, good thing to think about. Like, I know, I don't know what the industry is like necessarily in Alberta. Like I've only ever been out to Alberta a couple of times, but is there a lot of infrastructure where you're at in Fort uh, McLeod? Like, is there, you know, a multitude of different feed companies and veterinarians and stuff like that, that, you know, kind of help, help with the industry? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's not way out in the middle of nowhere. Like I used to work on a farm, uh, Northeast of Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And like, you know, you had to pay nutritionists mm-hmm. to come out to your farm, yeah. right? Like <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you have people stopping by and it's great, right? Cause you're like where you are, you're not far from Lethbridge, are you? That's right. We're 45 minutes uh, yeah, west okay. of Lethbridge. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there would be, I've never been south, uh, southwest corner of Alberta like that, but more in the, the Calgary, I guess, Red Deer, Edmonton, Pinocchio area. So it just seems like any of our colleagues that we talk from Western Canada, it's a, it's a long haul to a feed mill or the farms are a long ways from feed mill, but it sounds like you're more kind of in the hub of uh, where everything's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of long haul, like uh, moving out here from BC, I, I never quite realized how big transportation is like the trucking industry on the prairies is huge. Okay. Like just because like in Chilliwack, I suppose you're not far from, vancouver yeah you're not far from the port but like yeah. everything's a 20 minute drive right here it's like oh yeah. okay you know four hours or whatever yeah you're always trucking something somewhere as far as commodities and, and feed right so yep so do you guys just dairy or do you do a bit of cropping in as well like more than just say feed uh my my part is mostly just the dairy um uh, we had the opportunity to buy some land here was it four years ago? So we've been growing our own feed barley just for silage. And yep. then uh, l- last year we had twice as much feed as we needed. So that was mm-hmm. awesome. So uh, we put uh, two bags up and, you know, we're going to have feed for this year. And that all, oh, yeah, we'll do some cash cropping, right? Yeah. And of course, everyone knows it was the driest year, 20 years or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was just great. That was awesome. So were you guys apparently, you guys were dry then all summer, like we're yeah, in the we drought from out west. Yeah, yeah, just okay. one for that yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then everything else, like, is irrigated or no? 
there is irrigation around us um yeah. basically yeah you just on a map you follow the river and there's irrigation around it type of thing i mean oh, i okay. guess yeah by lethbridge too they have the um st mary's irrigation district but okay but yeah there's uh there's a little bit of both here lots of hay we're known for our uh, hay here in southern alberta just because of the the dry uh w windy climate i guess you can put up good hay so all our all the hay from uh or all the dairies in northern alberta i guess use a lot of southern alberta hay yeah is there uh is there a lot of competition for land where where you guys are located yeah i mean uh, compared to ontario i'm sure probably <laughs> not <laughs> like how would you measure that put a price tag on it? i don't know it, i don't it, know like around me I don't it's know like if we a can... bucks for for a dry land quarter so sorry how much a million bucks and what's a quarter 165 uh yeah. what is it 166 or something something like that yeah Oh, so it's, it's dear enough, you know, that's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is, and like irrigated yeah, quarters, an acre. Yeah, like irrigated quarters by Lethbridge, like they're selling for two, two like I think almost double. Oh really? So, yeah. Yeah. For the like potato guys and, and stuff like that, they'll go into bidding wars and, and all that stuff. So potatoes and sugar beets and yeah, by Tabor and voxel something mm -hmm. yeah i know that's a i think it's an issue everywhere right now with land because they're not making any more of it well it depends where you are i guess but most places aren't making any more of it so yeah yeah it's just kind of i don't know it's a natural progression of things right i know yeah. in in the fraser valley it's it's absolutely insane though it's you know people are buying you know 100 acres for you know 20 million or you know just insane it just boggles my mind sometimes like you hear about the that part of bc and it's like oh yeah this three acre chunk went for a million dollars <laughs> like... but i mean you sit on it you sit on yeah it goes more than five percent like yeah, our land five percent and yeah you know what what do you guys usually have like you, your land goes up more than five percent right it really just it depends on the area like and how much pressure and who the who's buying it right mm -hmm. like i find that uh just depending on where you go like if it's more livestock uh intensive area or there's competition say like uh west of where i live maybe about an hour west is leamington ontario so there's a lot of there's not a lot of livestock necessarily but there's a lot of competition from uh greenhouses so yeah, okay. down there, I don't even know what it is down there anymore. Like the last I heard, it was over sixty-five an acre, like which is absurd here in Ontario. Because if you look at um, some areas, I guess in more central Ontario, like Stratford, where it's you know pretty, pretty intense uh, pressure from livestock. You know, you're looking at thirty to forty thousand, just depending on who the neighbors are and what and how bad they want it. But right. there's other areas of Ontario where they're growing some high value stuff or putting hot houses up or, you know, anywhere close to a city, like any of the major cities in, in Ontario that can develop, like developers are coming in and buying a lot of land too. So, which is pushing other producers that, you know, maybe want to keep farming back a little bit and just making it a lot more competitive. So. Right. Yeah. That reminds me, I was going to ask you like for, uh, for maybe your new listeners, uh, what's your mm -hmm. background? 
if people just started listening to your podcast, they just they're interested. I get- I guess we've never got into that on the podcast before. You didn't do it on episode one? <laughs> I know. Uh, I never have. No, I, uh, I'm a graduate of Ridgetown College, which is a uh, uh, campus of the University of Guelph. And I gradu- graduated there in 2004. So I grew up uh, on a small cash crop farm. Uh, I did a lot of work in tobacco, though, and hogs. And so I kind of paid my way through high school uh, working in tobacco and August and September, and then uh, working in some hog, uh, some sow barns, and some uh, and a nursery barn as well, uh, all the way into college. And then I started milking cows uh, when I was at Ridgetown. So I worked uh, for the college there, and they had a thirty-five cow uh, cow herd. And anyways, I uh, I decided that uh, getting into farming was just outside of my uh, financial abilities at the time. Um, so I thought, you know, what's a better way to get back into the industry? So I had worked in ag retail on the crop side and I didn't really like it. So I got into the feed side of things and I kind of found my niche. So that was all oh, 15 years ago now. So I've okay. been kind of around the Ontario dairy industry for a few years. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's the next best thing to, I think, farming by, you know, like, being involved day to day in the primary agriculture and I really like, you know, walking in cow barns and doing things like that. So it's, uh, it's been kind of a, a passion of mine and, and I guess, uh, I'm crazy enough to keep doing it. I know it's a tough road to hoe sometimes, uh, um, working in sales and working as a consultant and things like that, but it's, it's real rewarding at the end of the day. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That you like your job. People, you know, are passionate about the work they do or few and far between them I'm finding in life. Like I, I thought everyone wanted to be a farmer when I was like, in my team. <laughs> I thought they just had other jobs. You know? I know I see like some of my friends who have, uh, have the opportunity to go farm and it's like, they don't want to do it. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like <laughs> you could go be a cash cropper. You could go do this. You could go do that. And you don't want to do it, but I understand it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a career and it's a business, but it's also, you got to be able to adapt to the lifestyle too. Cause mm. I know if it's uh, anything like my wife, if I say something comes up, she gets a little ornery with me. So I can't imagine, you know, Oh, how do you go to the barn and there's a cow cabin and come back to the house four hours <laughs> later and you're supposed to go for dinner or something like that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's pretty used to it, but um, yeah, that does happen. I mean, and, and worse than that, right? Like, and that's, that's a whole nother thing. Just, uh, well, that's part of life too. Just have, you know, yeah. having a wife and kids and, and, you know, oh, I guess no one really tells you, you know, what to expect really. Right. But no, you get through it. <laughs> no, we're just, uh, we're expecting our first right now too. So it's a little, cool. uh, we're getting close. We're in the final countdown. We're about four weeks out from the due date. So, and I've nice. done a surprisingly good job of not comparing, uh, comparing it to calving so <laughs> yeah. yeah gotta watch your mouth yeah i know i know so with being a new entrant like what's the biggest surprise i guess that you maybe thought that you know might be might be more challenging than it was or maybe the biggest non-issue that you've seen when you when you started farming that you thought might have been an issue getting into it well i mean i i always say like uh you know, financially, you know, it's tougher than we thought, obviously, but, um, you know, there's a ton of other things that, that are so good about it. Like, 
and I gotta be, I, I gotta hand it to, you know, producers because whenever we talk about the new entry program, you know, always we always talk about the challenges. But like at some point, you know, all the producers kind of sat down and had a vote and said, "Hey, we got this extra quota. Should we divvy it up or should we, you know, have this new entry program?" So I mean, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool, right? There's so many things that I learned, right? Just like the the community too, like just learning from other farmers and stuff. It's a pretty good community. Um, you know, and then, and then being involved with the board a bit, I, I'm a, a delegate to the board. Okay. So then I sit down with some of these guys that are involved in the industry, you know, and, and learn from them. That's been really, really cool. Right. Just to see the, uh, the nuts and bolts of the industry too. So, yeah, you get to see the, uh, the other side of it, the marketing and the yeah, I guess so regulation side of it. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, they're, you know they're smart like and and same with the staff too like i don't know what we would do without some of our staff like <laughs> i asked our chair the other day like what do we do you know if this person you know wants to leave their job like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we'd be pretty lost but yeah they yeah. get it all you know i think that's uh, part of corporate planning is to have succession <laughs> a succession plan yeah. kind of in the background at at all times oh, yeah. for the most part so yeah, yeah, and I'm used to shoveling manure, right? And these these guys got, you know, they got it all. Yeah, yeah. So, how does the delegate work then, like with the Alberta Milk Board? Like, is it like on Ontario set up in zones? So there's I, I forget how many zones, but then the zone breaks down into like the the DPC, which is the Dairy Producer Committee for that county or that jurisdiction. So, how does it work in uh, Alberta? um there's three zones to south uh central and north right now and yep. uh i think there's i think there's supposed to be 10 delegates per per zone okay. and then they kind of facilitate communication between producers and their uh board members okay so then do you guys like as the committee pick one board member to represent like from the three different zones um how does that work are they at large at I think yeah the board members are at large okay so they're elected by producers yeah we're just looking at that whole system now because i mean like uh my you know air quotes position you know i i help producers connect with the board and if there's you know significant issues i make sure that you know their voices are heard but like now you know just the way that the culture is like you can talk to your board member directly too right so I mean, yeah, right? all, we're all farmers or they're all farmers, yeah. right? So like, and you know, your board member and, and there's even some zones that don't have, you know, the, uh, you, you know, there's no elections for, for their delegates, right? It's, it's a position that, um, I don't, I don't know if we'll keep on having in our, in our structure and our governance structure, but, but it's, but it's definitely been beneficial for me just uh, being able to sit on, on, uh, you know, meetings and stuff like that and just learn more about the industry and the ins and outs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it. I, you know, bring up issues that producers come to me with and yeah, it's good. Have a bit of an open discussion about it and well, see yeah. if there's a solution to it, right? Or. Yeah, for sure. I know it's hard, uh, knowing a few board members, I think they get put into some tough positions sometimes too, because you're also, you're representing your, your colleagues or your peers, but you're also representing the other side of the industry as well too, where 
you know, you have to think about the processors and all the regulations and everything else that, you know, kind of have to fit into the decisions that, you know, you're sitting there shoveling crap and you're thinking about one thing, but there's 15 other actions that have to come into place before that can kind of, you know, come to fruition almost, it seems. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I was talking to Stuart Booby, our uh, chair of Alberta Milk here the other day. And just with like, um, you know, if you know a, a change to the credit situation is coming, you know, you can't act on it. Right. So, mm-hmm. but like, and, and I said, well, any, anything you would lose by, you know, not selling or buying credits would be offset by your gigantic salary, right? And he just laughed. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, and I think that's a common misperception, right? Like um, your average producer might think that these guys are, you know, in it for themselves and all this stuff, right? But like, it's a tough position. He catches a lot of flack. I know, you know, um, chair, chairpersons, in the past I've caught a lot of flack too, just, you know, for yeah. everything, every decision you make, you know, someone's going to be pissed off. It's politics. Not everybody's yeah. going to be happy. So, and everybody's got a different opinion on it. So. Yeah. But yeah, I think they do a great job. I, I, uh, I really commend them for taking on that level of responsibility. It's quite some. Yeah. It's a, it's a thankless job to say the least. I know I've yeah. been on enough boards and stuff like that. And it's makes you kind of pull your way. I have left my hair out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> the right word for board stuff. Like I've been involved in our local church board and, and stuff too. And, you know, it's, it's thankless. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So tell me about the faraway farm boy podcast. I know I've listened to quite a few episodes that you've put out and I find it very interesting. Like I, I, I like listening to a different perspective of what's happening somewhere else in the, in the country. And, uh, so how did the faraway farm boy podcast kind of come to, uh, come to be? Um, yeah, I just needed an excuse to drink beer and talk about cows, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing led to another and I don't know, I just do it for fun. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not really into the whole art of podcasting. I, I only do it because I, you know, want to talk about cows and want to meet up with other people type of thing. I, I kind of stay away from zoom podcasts just cause I'd rather be there in person, but you know, yeah. like obviously this, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to fly out there. So this is awesome. No. Yeah. I know. Uh, I haven't done one live yet. I haven't had, yeah, been fun, fortunate yeah. enough. I know it's a, it's a little bit different environment here still in Ontario with all this other COVID stuff going on. And, uh, oh, yeah. I just haven't been able to, to line it up to, uh, to do it in person yet. So I think that might bring a whole new, uh, whole new level to it, but I always hear like beers opening or glasses clanging when I listen to yours. So it sounds like you guys are having a pretty good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a good time. Yeah. And I learn lots too. Like, I don't know, just, uh, it's good to get other people's perspective, like you're saying, and you know, lots of people I disagree with, but it's always good to talk and, you know, know where they're coming from too. Yeah. So, but yeah, well, in Ontario, like it can be a, you know, a totally different perspective, I imagine, than out West. What do you, what do you see that we would disagree on as far as uh, the farming game? I don't know if it's, if it's that much different. It's just, it's more interesting listening to like 
crops that you guys grow? Like, I think a lot of the cow management stuff is pretty, pretty similar. Like a cow is a cow is a cow for the most part, but it's the crops and the forages and the things like that, that, that you guys are growing out there that I really find interesting because, you know, here in Ontario, we're pretty much a alfalfa corn silage base. Um, and then in the West, it sounds like you guys are growing a lot different, more like kind of starch crops. I, you know, barley silage comes to mind or wheat silage uh, kind of comes to mind that you guys are growing out there. So I kind of like listening in on that stuff. Right. But as far as the industry grows, um, my friend's dad had a saying, it's no different on the fifth concession than it is on the sixth concession. You know, it isn't that different. It doesn't sound like in Alberta other than the names and the faces. So. What does that mean? The fifth and the sixth concession? Oh, we have concessions here in Ontario. Back before they put the 911 system into place, we used to have uh, concessions. So like our municipality would have the first concession, the second concession, the third concession. Now it's all oh, okay. roads and now it's all roads and lines. But uh, um, yeah, he always oh, used I to see, say because yeah. he's he he him and my dad would talk over a beer or martini, and I know my friend and I would be acting up a little bit, and he'd say, "Well, it's no different on the fifth than it is on the sixth. So. <laughs> yeah, you guys are crazy about your counties, eh? You're always talking about Oxford <laughs> County and Bruce <Brick laughs> County and all this stuff. <laughs> You know, the only time I talk to the county is when I'm trying to get a fire permit, right? Like, oh, is it? MD, yeah. Right? We yeah. call them the MD, Municipal yeah. District. Yeah. Um, everybody here, like all the, a lot of the stuff in the industry is based on counties. So like if it's, if you look at the dairy producer committees, it's based on, you know, counties or amalgamation of counties, right? So like there's Huron, Perth, or I think it's Oxford, Wellington, or, you know, where I'm at, it's, it's actually four counties put together, so into, right. into well, their zones right so when you have 500 producers in each county or or whatever yeah you got to do that i guess hey you guys are yeah. living on top of each other out there uh in certain places in uh <laughs> perth and oxford county yes that's the that's the thing but i find the dairy pocket like dairy's real pockety here in ontario like if you exclude perth and oxford because it's there's a lot of dairy just in general but if you get into some of the other counties you know you could go five or six or 10 K and there won't be a dairy farm. And then all of a sudden there'll be a, a group of five or six in that area that are still kind of, kind of milking cows. And a lot of places, uh, there's been a lot of, I guess, farms closed down or quit or, or whatever in Ontario. So we're, I think there's last stats were right around 3,500 herds in the province still. So. Okay. What's, what's it like out there for, uh, what would you call that consolidation or like how many farms are you guys losing per year? Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I know that. So when I started in 2006, I think there was just a little, like, I think it was just like a little over 5,500 farms in Ontario. So in 15 years, six, almost 16 years, you know, it hasn't dropped in half, but it's dropped probably 30%. So what do you what do you think the future holds? Uh, I think the attrition's gonna keep going at that pace for a while, and then we'll get down to probably I'm thinking somewhere like two thousand to twenty five hundred herds, but they're gonna be bigger herds. You know, the herd size in Ontario just keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, it's not as big as it is in the prairies. Um, it seems like you guys have a little bit more access to quota than kind of what we do here in Ontario. So. 
the farms have, I think, grown faster in Western Canada or the prairies than they have in Ontario. But, you know, every year they're growing a little bit, you know, the biggest um, gripe I kind of hear is that the producers that want to get quota can't get quota in Ontario. Right. Like they want to expand, but the there's just no quota available on the exchange to, to do so. So, yeah, but well, I think, we'll trade you some quota for some processing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing we have, you know, I think 65% of the population of Canada lives between, I think Montreal and Windsor within, I think it's like 80 kilometers of either side of the 401. So like we've got the, we got the population and the cows and the processing, um, here, but we're also pretty close to the U S border as well with Michigan and New York on either side. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of milk on the other side of the lakes from us where we're at for sure. So, right. But back to your question about the industry. Yeah. I think, you know, we're going to get down, I think eventually in Ontario, you know, below 2,500 herds and, but the average herd size is going to be, I don't know, 150, 180, 200 cows. I don't know, but because we don't seem to be losing cow numbers, just herd numbers. So, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So we're still, I think somewhere around that 300 and, change cows in the province so 330 maybe i haven't looked at the stats like the stats from 2020 will be a lot different than i looked at those back in april and i can't remember that far back so (laughs) what do you think about the west like what do you like what's the what's the crystal ball or helicopter view of the alberta milk industry you know in five or ten years from your perspective yeah i don't know probably probably a bunch of the same like definitely you know consolidation and and wider adoption of of technology the the thing that worries me the most is uh you know kind of what we're seeing with uh labor like the lack of available labor people who want to you know shovel manure so i think there's going to be a lot more uh temporary uh foreign workers but um or or a wider adoption of technology like you know robots right but i really don't know it sounds like it's the same. It's the same here too. Like I know the biggest, like outside of not getting enough quota, the next kind of other than the feed bill, cause the feed bill is always a problem, but, yeah. uh, is getting enough labor, you know, finding good, good help. But the thing that kind of is troubling that I see is that the more that we lean on technology, the more high skilled labor that you need. Yeah, that is true. I suppose. So I mean, you got to service your robots. Is that what you're, you're talking yeah, about. and people that come in and run software and and do just do the day to day things with the robot. Like I was looking at uh, looking at T for C today at a farm, and it's like there's so much information there. Like you really just gotta figure out five or eight or ten things that you want to look at and kind of push the rest away, or you also just get kind of information overload. Yeah, that's that's what I always say about lactin and and you know you know they give you like this book of data like oh here's a graph and here's the same graph in blue and here it is in red (laughs) like i i don't need that data right like here's you know their birthdays in pink yeah yeah it's it is uh you know a whole nother job to sort through the data and and then you know figure out how to act on it in the best way right i guess that's just all part managing i think that's the future of our job like my career is that just interpreting the data that we're pulling in and then trying to 
parse out what you need and and kind of create a direction for the farms because right producers have so much stuff coming at them in a day they just need like you said you use your advisors to advise and kind of help you manage through everything else that you've got going on on a day-to-day basis right for sure and like on a small farm there's always these little caveats right like you know if you have uh, one sick cow you know on a 40 cow herd you know you know oh five percent of your herd is sick like looking <laughs> yeah at you, they, you know it's like well no you know betsy just had a cold the one day it's you know it's going to be fine five yeah. percent of my herd is not going to die right no yeah. no i it's so it's, with a small there's lots of challenges like that too well it's just like uh transition cows like if you have one cow that has an rp and you only freshen in you know so many that week and you know that's a big impact on your bottom line or your operation just because one cow represents so much percentage of it yeah so to your point there you know uh, there's different ways to manage between different size farms and and yeah i don't know if there's ever going to be a computer program that can could do your job as far as uh you know interpreting which data fits you know the best situation for each farm right I hope there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) I got to keep working for a few more years. (laughs) To to a certain extent, I, you know, I would hope there's, uh, you know, uh, that the technology gets to that point, right. Where it's easier to manage these things. And with, uh, you know, programs like T4C, they sure are getting close to managing it all. Right. Well, and I think the biggest thing too, is with, I know with robot facility design and even all new facility design, it's a lot more geared towards less labor. Like you're going to have say a 200 cow herd, even with that's going to build a new barn with say a double 16 parlor, it's going to be set up in a way that you're going to use technology to do your management for you, but you're still physically going to have to do that management. Like you're going to have to go palpate that cow. But yeah. it's already going to be sitting in a pen, locked up, waiting for you to show up. And with robots, like, I know herds out there, you know, they're milking 150 cows uh, through robots, and it's uh, automatic feeding. And it's just one person walking around there outside of the calves. There's another person doing calves, but it's it's one person running 150 cows, essentially, yeah. or, or two people, right? So Yeah, one person, and then... And then one Laylee employee just chained to the robot, just fixing it. <laughs> That's one nice thing. Like the, the tech charges aren't, aren't astronomically high. I don't think cause the robot, like they're so close together. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, got some feed questions for you. So, so last okay. year we, we had, um, you know, a huge crop, but low starch in our barley silage. Yeah. So how do you, how do you fix that? It's like free uh, counseling here, free, free uh, nutritionist oh. counseling. Uh, so what I do, like with corn silage, like if we get super tall corn silage, I always say cut it higher. And right. with the barley, like if you got a, like a high, high barley like volume there, I would probably tend yeah. to cut it a little bit higher. Because so I don't, what do you cut barley at? Four, four inches off the ground? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, I guess I did cut it too low. Had I known that it was going to be low starch i guess uh would have cut it higher but how do you so, fix that after uh add green <laughs> <laughs> so that, add green. you gotta find that starch in your in your barley green then 
Uh, yeah, yeah, because your starches are your grains, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's no I, other way. Wow, I don't think so. Like you, you're just gonna have to add energy sources back in, right? Like just to replace the yeah. starch. Like you, you're not totally gonna need starch per se. You just need energy, and usually starch is a pretty cheap form of energy. Right. Yeah. So I don't like. I don't know. I would. I would think you could cut barley higher. You'd lose a little bit of fiber, but what you would gain in is starch. Yeah, from what I know, that's you're right. Yep, yep. Yeah, because I know, like, just looking at some corn silage samples from this year, like, it looks like it's low starch corn silage. It was good grain corn. It was just cut too low. Like, there's just more plant fodder. Like, the plant fodder to starch grain ratios off a bit. Yep, yep. So. This has been Dust and Learning How to Farm 101. <laughs> <laughs> so what else... Like what else should we know about uh, dairy farming in Alberta? Um, shoot, yeah, it gets cold here. I don't. Does it get cold in Ontario? Yeah, it depends Probably where not. you're at. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we we plan things a little bit differently. We you know insulate things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to know about farming on the prairies. I mean, uh, is it that much different than farming anywhere else? You know, when things are weather related, yes, but otherwise not yeah. so much, right? I think it just, yeah. everything with dairy farming, I think boils down to some basics is good forage and good repro. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we just put in a um, heat detection system. We bought a, yeah. um, was it real time from, from Bomatic. Okay. So that's been huge for us because before we were just kind of watching cows, like, you know, <laughs> Oh, I think I seen Betsy mount once last night, right? Oh, better mm-hmm. go for eater, right? So, so that system has been huge for us. And you're just using activity then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Activity, I think it goes off of rumination too or whatever, but. Oh, okay. Neck collars. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, neck collars. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the, that those are the things that just save you so much time on a farm, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well worth the money. We should have done it day one. Is there a lot of those things that you're like, okay, like we can kind of, we can kind of wait for right now, or is there things that, you know, the wish I had or need to have, like, do you have a list like that kicking around the farm? Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Long list. Long list. Um, And we're chipping away at it, but you know, when you you got to start up of course again there's there's lots of capital expenditures right so you got to watch yeah. that list really carefully and do things that pay off you know one of the big things for me is to to invest in infrastructure or to buy quota so which one comes first right the chicken or the egg type yeah. of thing right so like you need infrastructure, the, you need the like cash flow yeah yeah like you need the cash flow but you also need to more feed storage or you need infrastructure around that animal to get rid of her poop or her, oh, make yeah. sure like she gets it, through the parlor in a timely manner or yeah the biggest thing would be a robot right it would take away you know a whole bunch of labor and you know mm-hmm. you get those three leaders that they promise right yep so it's, it's tough are they promising that yeah i think it's pretty much written in stone at this point three oh. or four <laughs> leaders at this point there's there's lots of times there's a milk increase i will agree with that but sometimes it's because it's a brand new facility too just pound the pellet to him right no actually it's the opposite pull that pellet back don't feed nearly as much 
<laughs> have you ever thought about like like you talk about automated milking have you thought of like automated feeding no just just because it's weather related i mean if you have it yeah. all inside a barn or whatever it would be okay but um yeah we, we get some pretty harsh weather here minus 40 minus 50 yeah. sometimes um and then you know just the wind it's kind of we're kind of more rednecks here i don't know if you, you know <laughs> i don't know how many lily vectors they sell in southern alberta well there's a lot in the in the prairies like i know manitoba's got a, a pile of them that's interesting. I wonder uh, how they set up their feed kitchens. I know our I know our university has one up at uh, Lakeland College. Okay. Well, I think they're setting them up. All the ones I looked at, I just got thinking about it because I was out there in night twenty nineteen. Is I think, like, if there was three quarters of them were commodity or like boxes, boxes and conveyors where you're just dumping right. forage into the box, rather yep. than the than the claw. Yeah, I guess there is a way you can set it up that would be uh, be good. But I don't know. I guess we're more focused on um, getting bigger. Like on average, I think you'd say that uh, prairie farmers are more focused on having a larger herd than a more technologically advanced herd. But mm -hmm. is that just a that's just the prairie mentality? Get bigger. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's kind of the the mentality. Like the the returns are there. Like I was talking to um marvin slingerland and he did a study on on dairy herds and the well-managed ones can get a four percent return on investment whereas uh average managed herd can get a two percent so that's double like if you manage double your it. herd well you can double you know the amount of income really? so it, it's like i mean once you start getting into you know a couple hundred cows you can start seeing those returns right it's just, uh, yeah, getting there. Getting there yeah. Well, another challenge, so. Because Alberta, you guys are open, uh, open quota market, right? Like you can just bid on it if it's in the exchange. It's not. Yeah, capped. that's right. Yeah. yeah okay. No, it's not capped. Um, yeah, there's always like, well, it can range from five kgs to a hundred kgs on the exchange. Does everybody get an equal portion? Like, if say yeah. fifty farms bid on it and everybody bids. Like, does it matter how high you bid? Like, the highest bidder gets it, or is it? It this is, kind is of our a weird base. This is our like, base bid, and then it goes around. Everybody gets a little chunk. No, you don't get percentages. Um, I know in BC they do. Um, it works like if you, the highest bidder and the lowest bidder are averaged out. So, okay. like, you could you can overbid, yeah, and not get any. Like, it, there's okay. a clearing price. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. If you know what I mean, like if you bid um, a higher number and the seller so, is lower, yeah, it's it's kind of complicated. So they kind of take the median price then. Like, here's all yeah. of our bids. This is the median. It was forty two thousand dollars, for instance. So that's what everybody pays to get their allotment. So then, when they allot the quota, is it say, okay, we had ten bids on it, so we're going to separate this hundred kilos ten ways? at $42,000 a kilo? Yeah, it, well, you're not, it, it's either you're successful or you're not successful. Like you don't oh, okay. get a portion of, uh, like okay. I know the last exchange in BC, there was like a 1% fill rate, they call it. I think there's like five kgs up for sale and there's a 1% fill rate. So like, and oh, there's like okay. 400 um, 
you know, buyers, if you want to call them that, and they each got 0.01, you know, percent of a kg or whatever. But I mean, yeah, let's not kid ourselves. Coda's Coda's 50 grand there too, right? You just have to buy the farm and yeah. then return it. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, like I know in Ontario, everybody's like the last week or so just talking to producers once the quota exchange closed is everybody's pretty happy because they're getting anywhere from 0.35 to a half a kilo okay from, from what i've heard maybe more i don't know i haven't maybe talked to any larger producers to see what they got but proportionally generally a smaller producer will get more than a than a large producer huh interesting so they might get like a large producer might get more kilos but if you break it down versus their holdings the it's actually more advantageous for the for a smaller producer Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Dustin. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I know uh, I enjoy listening to your podcast, so maybe if you want to tell people where they can find it one last time here and, and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the Far Away Farm Boy podcast, and you can find it anywhere you uh, listen to your podcast, as they say. And uh, <laughs> I, I'd also like to congratulate you on the uh, gigantic success that your podcast has been. I know a lot of people have listened to it out here, so. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Cool. I, I, uh, I don't get much. Well, I get some feedback. I got a nice, uh, got a nice email from a producer this week with, uh, or last week, actually I was deer hunting. So I didn't, I didn't look at it till this week, but, uh, um, just as suggestions and, and it's great to hear the feedback from producers cause it's, it's why I'm doing it. I do it. I don't uh, do it for the money because I don't get paid to do it. So <laughs> it's just, it's fun talking to people like yourself or other people in the industry just to see, you know, what's up and see what's, what they're, what they're doing in their, uh, in their world and how they're impacting uh, the dairy industry just in general. So. Yeah, it's pretty anyway. cool. I love the feedback too. I love seeing uh, where everyone's listening from and what countries it's very interesting. So still a lot of fun for me to do. Yep. Perfect. Well, yeah, everybody, if you get a chance, uh, check out the Far Away Farm Boy podcast. So thanks, Dustin. I appreciate it a lot. Enjoy the uh, nice fall weather in uh, Alberta today. Will do. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dairy team at Trout Nutrition Canada and our Suregain dealer partners. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast player. And please leave us a review. If you'd like more information about today's discussions, please reach out. We have left our contact information in the show notes. I would also like to extend a special thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.